The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Could we look in chapter 4 this morning and find your way there? How many folks were here last week? You were here last Sunday morning. Can I see your hands? Okay. Thank you. Let me talk to those folks for just a few moments personally this morning, okay? If you're here as a guest or visitor, just sit tight. I will be with you in just a moment. I've got good news and bad news. I would like the bad news first. Here's the bad news. Last week's message did not get recorded. Here's the good news. Last week's message did not get recorded. On Sunday morning after the message, and, and hear me out, I'm going to say some things that might make you uncomfortable. I don't mean to, but just hear me out to hear what I'm saying this morning. I, I hope it will be helpful to you. And as soon as I said that, I noticed that my wife is slithering under the seat. <laughs> it's, it's a strange thing to be a pastor's wife. I'm speaking not from experience. <laughs> but in the church service, I am her pastor. And when we leave this place, I am her husband. There's no one in the world who knows me better, who really knows how I tick, or loves me more than my wife. I know that. So we got in the car after Sunday morning, and I already had a sense about the message, the direction, and, and how my mind works. So we sat in the car, and as we're driving, Kim said to me, Sweetheart, we're going to have a conversation now. <laughs> well, you've heard that before I take it. <laughs> And so I said, okay. And, and I, I sort of sensed where this was going. And she said, your topic this morning, this is last Sunday, was peace. You call peace? And she said, you yelled at us for 40 minutes. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she said, I want you to go back, and I, and I never do this, I want you to go back and I want you to listen to the message. And you don't have to listen to the words, watch the tone from beginning to end. And unfortunately, somehow, it did not get recorded. I had nothing to do with that. And then she said, and, and you had to be there because it was kind, it was gracious, it was loving, it really was. She said, you gave us a BOGO message. You know what BOGO is? You buy one, you get one free. She said, the week prior to this, you preached that act. And this week, you just repeated last week's message. Oh, I gasp, right? Can you believe this sweet little lady? And then she said some other things I really want to talk about this morning. <laughs> <laughs> they were right, they were on, they were, yeah, they were true. And, and so... She said to me, she said, I know you're weary, I know you're tired, I know you've been run out of empty, I know you have nothing left, but this is a perfect time to speak to you on these things, because I know you and I love you, and instead of just recycling the past, just move forward with the truth of the message. And it was right, and it was good, and it was wholesome, and so, this morning, when I'm saying to our group last week, number one, forgive me, running on empty, just put it out there, and number two, no BOGO this week. Okay, we're, we're going to get down to the, we're going to finish Philippians chapter 4, our text here. Now, let me help you understand some things as someone who sits and has not had the opportunity to do this. 
It is extremely difficult every week, whether you're an elder, a pastor, or a teacher, to try to feed people every week. It really is. Do you think the announcements are bad? Try the message. And let's just be honest, and we need to be honest. And we'll speak in baseball terms because I think it'll help me. There are some Sunday mornings when you and I both know that the message was a single. Maybe even a bunt. Maybe you, we bunted it on the line and there was an error by the pitcher and you just made it to first base. You know what I'm talking about. And believe me, I know what I'm talking about. If you think that you critique my message, I have to tell you, I don't stop thinking about a message when I'm done with it. I, I don't. And so I realize and you realize that there are Sunday mornings that you got a single. And on those Sunday mornings, I'd ask you to do this. Rejoice. Just rejoice. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your teachers. And take the truth of that single, because in this pulpit, Sunday morning, Sunday night, special services, the Word of God will be open, and you can grab truth. Okay? So, if you get a bunt this morning, praise the Lord for it. And just, and just take the truth. Sometimes, there are triples. It's like, man, they're with me, the message went out, impacted a bunch of folks, and it's like, that was really good. On those Sundays, I'd ask you to do this. Rejoice. Rejoice. And pray for your pastors. And pray for your teachers. And the best thing you can do when that happens is, don't tell them, man, you knocked out the ballpark today. Just go and do what the Word of God said. That'd be a good thing. So, are we okay? Are we okay? Okay, we're okay. <laughs> Thank you for being a good sport. That's really difficult. You're a good lady. And you do know me better than anyone. And I love you. Oh, isn't that sweet? Okay. And we're not even fighting. We didn't even fight. I, I handled that really well. I thought. Okay. So, let's get to our text this morning. Let's be honest, we're going to start with Philippians 4. I want you to know this morning, I am dealing with Christians. Just a heads up. I am talking to believers this morning. And so this morning, if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, I just want you to know something. You are not a Christian in the truest sense of the word because you're in church this morning. You're not a believer because you're Baptist. <coughs> the only way you are a true believer in Christ is that you have, as a sinner, understood your condition, you have repented of your sinfulness, and you have trusted in Christ and Christ alone, the cornerstone, that you rest in Him. Not church, not good works, not my parents, none of that. And now, as a believer, the Spirit of God lives within you. Right? And, and that's the spirit that will raise us up in the last day. So, if you're not a believer, then I want you to know this morning that it's imperative for you not to waste another moment of your life to turn, to repent, and trust Christ and Christ alone. He is our only hope. And so, if you're not born again this morning, if you don't know what that means, don't waste another breath. You're not guaranteed any. Come to Christ. So I'm talking to believers this morning, and, and here's what I want to know. Because of Christ now, that that Spirit lives within us, the Spirit of Christ, 
the Holy Spirit. We are to be different in our responses to all of our circumstances. The way we respond to life, and I'm talking all of life, it should not be like our lost friends, family, or neighbors. It should be different. And Paul says to us that in the midst of life, when life happens, we are to rejoice and we are to be at peace. At peace. So I want to talk to you this morning about answers for anxiety. We all experience anxiety. And, and for you, it may be minuscule. It might be, yeah, it's really bothering me. I take that off my mind. And so I'm anxious about this. I've got to give a speech, or I've got to do the announcements, or I've got to do, I'm, I'm anxious. For some of us, we deal with it like that. But for others of us, anxiety is consuming. It, it's like it grabs a hold of us, and the fear and the concern that we have, it cripples us. And so, the topic this morning, I believe, we all understand. Maybe at different levels, but we understand it. I, I heard a good example of how anxiety works against us. It's the idea of standing on the top of a, a staircase, and instead of taking one step at a time and dealing with whatever is coming at us, to say, okay, this is the first step, and this is the next thing, and then we don't do that. We become anxious, and on the first step, we jump to the bottom. And it goes from worry or being anxious to full-blown panic. And the worst case scenario, I can't do this, I can't live like this, this is problematic. And listen to me, I'm talking, I, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I struggled with anxiety attacks in the past, I get that. And yet Paul comes along, and he says in our text, Philippians 4, we won't be there now, but he says, Be anxious, be careful for nothing. For nothing. Whether it's infinitesimal in our eyes or someone else's, or whether it's crippling in our life, he says, Be anxious for nothing. And so, let's look at the text this morning. We'll run through some things that are familiar from last week and the week before. But we'll, there'll be good ground for us. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4 this morning. Answers for anxiety. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Um, it's clear that Paul now, speaking to a church troubled, speaking to us who are troubled, he says, Here's the I want you to rejoice. And the idea of rejoicing here, the tense is continually rejoicing, so much so that he says, rejoice, and again, I say, rejoice. And for the life of me, no, back four, I have read this hundreds of times, hundreds of times, and rejoice more always, and again, I say rejoice, and I don't know why in the world I have missed this part of it over and over again, rejoice in the Lord. Paul is not saying, hey, rejoice in your circumstance right now. Rejoice in the anxiety. Rejoice in the struggle. That's not what he says. He says that you and I are to rejoice in the Lord, in Him, in the beauty of Christ. Now listen to me. Understand, I think when we first come to Christ, 
It's, hey, just rejoice in the Lord no matter what's happening. But for those of us who've been walking this for a long time, there comes a time in the Christian life when I can say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord in my circumstances, in my suffering, in this trial. Because I have come to know him, he's worked in my life, and I know that there's a plan and purpose. And therefore, whether I'm weak in the faith and say, I can't get it, I don't see it, but I'm going to rejoice. Or, if I have maturity, I can say, Lord, I, I might not like the process, but I know you're producing something good. Hey, after 27 years of ministry, we've had our share of situations and circumstances that have been gut-wrenching. And by God's grace, I think over the last several years, we have finally, at least in, in many of the ones we face, been able to say, Lord, I'm not going to curse the process. I'm going to rejoice in you because I know you're producing something good. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. This morning, if you're not mature enough to be able to rejoice in your circumstances yet, you will be. But if not, don't worry about the circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in who He is. Rejoice in His glory and His grace and His kindness and His goodness. Rejoice in the Lord. We must persistently rejoice being satisfied in Christ. Then he goes on in verse number 5. Let your reasonableness be known, or your gentleness be known, unto all men. And, and we've talked about this in detail, and I won't spend a lot of time there, other than to say this. We should be different in our responses to our trouble, our anxiety, our circumstances, and our conflicts, in the fact that we should be reasonable. We should be gentle. And I think in our culture, that we say, oh yeah, gentle, that's a woman thing. Right? Girls be gentle. No, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not the way it goes. There is great strength in gentleness. Great strength. Especially when it's in your power to devastate someone. I, I mean physically, verbally, spiritually. There's strength in gentleness. Uh, how many folks here, you know Chuck, I mean not personally, but you know of Chuck Norris. Everybody know who Chuck Norris is? Okay, if you don't know who Chuck Norris is, he's like the master karate guy, right? I mean, he's a little Texas Walker? Or was it Walker? Walker, Texas Ranger, of course. You're dating yourself with those. But, but he was a Texas Ranger and, and a real tough guy, right? Master in karate. And, and the truth is, there are these, these yarns that have come about how tough he is, you know, um, Chuck Norris is so tough that he could um, strangle you with a cordless phone. <laughs> You've heard those jokes, right? You like that, don't you, Mitch? Oh, there's, they're great. There's some good ones. Uh, this one is, um, once Chuck Norris was bitten by a cobra in his leg, after five excruciating days of pain, the cobra died. <laughs> Chuck Norris is the only man that could punch a cyclops between the eyes. <laughs> He's counted to infinity twice, Chuck Norris has. And I like this one. Um, giraffes were recreated because Chuck Norris uppercutted a lion. Or, uh, I'm sorry, I blew that. A horse. 
Yeah, there we go. Bam. All right. That's Chuck Norris. And, and he's really tough guy. True story about Chuck Norris, who really was a tough guy. Not that tough, actually, but, but tough guy. He was in a diner sitting at a table, and a couple of bikers came in, big, really guys. And Chuck Norris was like five, eight. Maybe he's a short little guy. I didn't say anything, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I like conflict swap packages. And, and these bikers came in and said to him, hey, you're in our seat. And Chuck Norris, sorry, it was your seat. He said, yeah, move. Chuck Norris got up, moved across the way and sat on the other table. And as the guys watched him go, they thought, oh my goodness, that's Chuck Norris. And so he went up to Chuck Norris, the biker did, and I told him, he said, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't know who you were. Um, I, I'm really sorry about that. Why didn't you just beat the tar out of me? And Chuck Norris said, because it's a seat at a diner. Right? There is strength in gentleness. And for God's people, we are to be known for our gentleness. I don't know where you find yourself today in whatever conflict that's swirling around you. Whether it's really, I mean, you're anxious about a situation or you're in a conflict with people. But for the people of God, there should be this idea that as, we, as people view us and, and they watch us, that we're gentle. Gentle. He tells us that. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. Again, the idea that there's a day of reckoning. The way we live matters. Again, my friend, if you're without Christ, there is a day of reckoning coming. You will stand before a judgment throne. A great white throne. A throne that the Bible says the heavens flee away from this throne. The living and dead will be judged. And the books will be open. And if your name is not written in the book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There is a reckoning day coming. And the things that you gloss over now, my friend, will not be glossed over. But can I say for the believer this morning, there is a reckoning day coming. Our sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ. But there's a judgment seat of Christ. And we'll give account of what we do in this life. And how we respond. The Lord is at hand. And so, we must persistently rejoice and be satisfied in Christ. And then he says this. Look at verse number 6 now. He says, be anxious for nothing. We talked about that already. He says, okay, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgivings, let your requests be made known unto God. This is very interesting to me. Um, Paul just doesn't say, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't, and then just say, that's it. There's always this idea of replacement. He says, first off, I want you to rejoice about everything. I want you to worry about nothing. But now he says, I want you, in the midst of your anxiety and worry, to pray about everything. Church of Jesus Christ, listen to me. We need to be a people of prayer. You say this morning, I don't know how to pray. Okay? Here's how you learn how to pray. Now get this. You pray. Every grace is exercised when we use it. And the truth is, if you don't know how to pray, you today start praying. You want to have victory over your anxiety? 
hey, we have to persistently rejoice in the Lord, but then we've got to pour our souls out to our God. Pour our souls out. We must pray. If you don't know how to pray, start today. And if you need help, you can see examples of prayer. Open your Bible. You can see Philippians chapter 1, how Paul prays. Colossians, Ephesians, how Paul prays. How Jesus prayed. How Daniel prayed. How Nehemiah prayed. You can see that. Or you could do this. You could come on Wednesday nights and hear people pray. And I'm not talking about cliches and your voice changing. Oh, God, we bop, 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 bop. No, that's dumb. Pray. You can come on Wednesday night. You could come on Thursday morning at 9.30 in the office and hear people pray. You now can come between services at 11 or 10.45 and go to the office and pray. Paul says, pray, make your request known, pour out your heart. But then he says, with thanksgiving. It's not just, oh God, I'm in trouble. Oh God, I need help. Oh God, I don't know what to do. I am anxious and I'm worried. Oh God, oh God, help me. That's not it. He says, with thanksgiving. God, I'm in trouble, but Lord, I thank you that you are Lord. God, I'm anxious, but I know you love me. I'm grateful that you care. I'm thankful that you remember that I'm dust. My frame is weak. But as a father pities his children, oh God, I thank you that you pity me. Oh Lord, I'm in trouble. But I'm thankful because I've been here before. This is not new to me. And your track record is good. Thank you. Or God, I have never been here before. God, I'm terrified, but I'm thankful I can commit the keeping of my soul to you and well-doing unto a faithful creator. Our anxieties and anxiousness must be met with prayer and thanksgiving. They must be. If you've been here for any time over the last several weeks, you know that in our church it has been heavy for months. For months. The prayer list grows and the problems grow. And the truth is, we bear one another's burdens. I was talking to Kim a couple, two weeks ago, I think it was now. And she does this walking thing. They say it's good for you. I don't know. But she does this walking thing and I try not to walk with her. I think it's important that she has her own time there. And so, so I don't like to do that. And so when I don't walk with her, she either listens to her Bible on her phone or a podcast, or she prays. She prays. And the other day she said, she said to me, she said, Rick, I was going to pray for our people. You know, she walked about an hour, and she said, I couldn't. It was way too heavy. And so, what I did instead was, I gave thanks. I gave thanks for an hour. And not only just gave thanks to God for who he is and what he's done and how he's been faithful in the past, but to thank him for what he's doing in the lives of our people who are in the midst of their struggle. That he is faithful, he is good, he is kind. And there was a genuine lifting of 
her spirit. You see, what happens is, it's not all of a sudden I praise him with thanksgiving and everything changes, but my focus does change. My focus completely changes when I go to him in thanksgiving. I start to see the bigness of our God compared to the smallness of our grief. And you say, okay, wait a minute, how dare you? You don't know my grief. (coughs) And granted, I I might not. If I don't know you, I, I know I don't. How dare you say my grief is small? I didn't say that. I said in comparison with the greatness of God, our perspective changes. But let me tell you someone who did know about grief and what they said about it. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 8, Verse 18 says this, For I reckon, or I consider, that the sufferings of this present time, I don't know what you're going through, but let me tell you about Paul's sufferings. Paul understood what it meant to lose relationships. Big time. He says it to me, All have forsaken me. He understood that. Paul knew what it was to be hungry, to be cold, to be naked. Paul knew what it was to have real needs that weren't being met. Paul understood what it meant to suffer for the cause of Christ. A matter of fact, he said, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. He was beaten with rods. He was stripped and abused. The truth is, uh, he was in prison a night and a day in the deep, floating around from a shipwreck, left for dead after being stoned. I think he might have an idea of what it means to suffer. And here's what he said. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, where I find myself right now, what I've been through, are not worthy. The weight of that, the value is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul says, I know it was hard. I know it was difficult. But I'm looking forward knowing that whatever happens here, the truth is, it will not compare in eternity. D.A. Carson says, well, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. And isn't that the truth? This morning we are not suffering from anything that a good resurrection cannot fix. And wherever we find ourselves today, we need to know and understand this. That our God is faithful, and we can trust Him, and the glory that will be compared, the glory that we are going to see will not be compared to what we're facing now. Every sad thing will be made untrue. And so, I must pour out my soul to Him. Here's the third thing. Look at verse 7, if you would. And this was interesting to me this week, because the text doesn't read the way I think it should read, of all things. Paul is telling us, don't be anxious, so I want you to rejoice about everything. Don't worry about anything. Worry for nothing. And then pray about everything. And so I read that thing. Okay, good. I know where this is going. With that formula, I know what's next. And here's what I expect from verse number 7. After Paul says, pray about everything with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And I'm expecting these next words. And God will answer all your prayers. That's what I expect. And I was shocked to see that it's not there. That's that's not what Paul said. 
I think sometimes we go through this, and the idea is, well, this is that magic formula that all my requests will be granted. You know, name it and claim it and voila, or Viola, however you say that. Voila, it's, it's all answered now, and so life is good, and everything's great, and I did the formula. And so now I rub the lamp, the genie answered all my requests, and so of course I don't have to be anxious now. Name it and claim it. Hashtag blessed. That's not what he says. It's actually blaring that that's not what's said. Instead he says, do these things and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I would imagine that there are people in your life that if you go through a hard time and you're sitting in a room by yourself you're anxious and you're worried. When that person shows up, it's like, ah, they're here. It's going to be okay. Right? That, that somehow, someway, that person in this situation just brings me comfort. They bring me peace. There's strength. There's stability. There's hope. And we long for that. And what Paul says is this. I'm not just talking about your body or another believer, but the peace of God. God's peace. God's presence. Which passes all understanding. The truth is, I can find myself in the midst of a storm, and when God shows up, there can be real peace. It doesn't make any sense. To a world who's watching our world fall apart. He says, this peace keeps or protects us. The phrase literally is to, to keep with a garrison. It has the idea of Roman soldiers hemming you in. The most elite fighting force of the day. Paul says, when I pour my heart out with a sense of thanksgiving, when I'm rejoicing like I should, when I'm not worried about anything, and I pour my heart out, it's not that my prayers are all, all of a sudden answered, and it's magical, and this is... No, he says, now what happens is, the peace of God will protect my heart. It's not necessarily in my prayer being answered, but in a person. Keep your mind through Christ Jesus. I can have peace now because it's based on my confidence in the sovereignty of our God. Personal peace is not dependent on our circumstances, but it is dependent on our personal relationship with the sovereign Lord of the universe. And so as I persistently rejoice and am satisfied in Christ, as I pour out my soul to him with a sense of thanksgiving, I now praise the person of God for his sovereignty. I thought this might help you this morning because I could say these things and they might ring hollow for you. But I want to read a thank you note that was written to our Mary and Martha group, who today is probably by the bedside of a two-and-a-half-month-old baby who just finished her first round of chemotherapy with a tumor that they can't identify. Right? The biopsy was taken to St. Jude's in the States from the Cleveland Clinic, which is not a shabby place, and they can't even identify this tumor. This was written by a 26-year-old girl with two kids sitting in that situation. 
So, if you don't want to believe me when I talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding, I want you to hear this. And I won't read the whole thing, but it says, I don't fear the future, whatever it holds. The grace that has helped me so far will be enough. I just want to encourage you all to not be afraid either. Now listen to this. All things that are coming are coming. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next month holds, next year, or ten years. But I know that all things that are coming, they're coming. They're coming for me. They're coming for, for you. Now let me read that in its entirety. She says, All things that are coming are coming from our good Father. Right? There's peace in the midst of the storm of life. Because the baby's not sick anymore? No. No. But there's a peace that is guarding her heart and mind this morning because she sees everything coming from the hand of her father. And ultimately, it's good. Whether I see it or understand it or not, it is good. This peace that guards our hearts and minds is a peace knowing that he is in control. He has got you. He's got you. Persistently rejoice. Be satisfied in Christ. Pour our hearts out with a sense of thanksgiving. Praise the person of God for his sovereignty. Now we have verse number eight. Verse number eight. I have to finish this because I can't do this in another part. Okay? Verse number eight. He says, Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure, lovely, what sort of things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now he says to us, in this process of dealing with this anxiety and this worry, I have to protect my thoughts. I don't know how your mind works, but here's how my mind works or doesn't work. It never shuts off. Never. There are thousands of things happening in my mind right now. Listen, if I wake up at 4 in the morning and my eyes open, I don't stop thinking. And it could be the dumbest things in the world. Like, mm, what am I? oh, I'm going to have a turkey sandwich today with mayonnaise and salt on it. I love those things. 4 in the morning. And then I think about people struggling. Drifting visited. What's going on here? And praying for folks. It just does not shut off. And my mind... My thoughts can run away from me. And it's usually worse in the middle of the night. Where anxiety or worry control. And Paul says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think, consider, reckon. I want you to hear in your mind, control your mind, and listen to truth. You and I must protect our minds with scripture. Can I tell you something? You are being lied to all the time. All the time. And you know who lies to you most? You do. And I'm not exaggerating. 
This is internal monologue that tells us it's hopeless, it's helpless, it's senseless, it doesn't make any sense to me, I'm not good enough, I'm not able to do these things. Go down the whole list. You hear it over and over and over again. And Paul says, in this process of what to do, we must protect our minds with Scripture. We are inundated and bombarded with, with so much stuff. These endless news cycles, can I tell you something? We are not equipped. So you watch the news 24-7, can I tell you something? You are not, nor am I, designed to process all that. In an instant today, we know about tragedy, rape, death, murder, um, terror, uprising. I mean, in an instant from around the world, it's at our fingertips. We were never meant to be ubiquitous. Big ten dollar word, ubiquitous, everywhere. We are not God. And we cannot process those things. You want to talk about being anxious, keep on filling your head with that stuff. Stop. We must control our hearts and our minds. If it's true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if it's virtuous, if it's praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Protect your mind. You and I are responsible for what we think. Hey, when a thought comes in there and I didn't put it there, that's one thing. But I can choose to keep on thinking about that thought. And that's on me. Paul says to Timothy, he says, God has not given us the power or the spirit of fear, but of power and love. The sound mind, is that what goes? Power and love, sound mind. A disciplined mind. And when we're found, when we find ourselves in anxiety, the truth is we must focus on the truth. First, the truth about God and what he has done, what he said, who he is, and the truth about ourselves. And then finally this morning, verse number nine. So we protect our minds with scripture and finally we practice walking like our savior. Verse number nine. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. Right? What you have learned, received, heard, and saw in me do. And what Paul is saying is what he says all over the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, the idea of this is not just, okay, take your thoughts in captivity, you know, persistently praise him, pour out your heart with thanksgiving, um, protect your mind, and that's, and that's good. No, the idea here is what you've seen, heard, and learned, you do. It's not a one and done. Pastor, I tried that last night. It didn't work. That's great. It's not going to work because you tried it last night. This is a consistency of doing this over and over again. Doing what we know we must do. Right? And granted, Pastor, we didn't talk about this last Sunday night, about there are things only God can do. God has to change our heart. God has to desire. God has to stand those things. Right? But we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, you know, he's the one that does these things according to his will and his pleasure. But I gotta do something. And this morning, we have anxiety and worry, and part of it is because we're doing nothing. We're not practicing what we know. For some of us, it might be as easy as changing your diet or your sleep schedule or shutting the computer up or going to bed without the TV running all night. Right? For others, it's reconciliation, forgiveness, fixing problems in the body of Christ. 
Years ago, we had a family came in here. They sat over here. Their daughter came and sat over there, and they wouldn't talk to each other. Can I tell you something? That is wrong on so many levels. You want to talk about anxiety and stress and conflict? That's a problem. So swallow your pride, repent, ask forgiveness, and be reconciled. And then he says this. When we go through this process, not only will the peace of God guard and keep us, but he then says, at the end of verse 9, and the God of peace shall be with you. Shall be with you. That means, wherever I go, wherever's happening, whatever's going on, the God of peace is with me. There's some dumb songs that Christians play and sing. We were joking about them this morning. There's an old song that says, about believers, wherever they go, that's where the party's at. You ever heard that one? Squirrels are climbing up trees, and glowworms are glowing, and the markets are getting better, and everything. Wherever Christians go, that's where the party's at. Can I tell you, that song wouldn't make it in North Korea. Or China. Or in Saudi Arabia. Because it's not true. Sometimes wherever we go, that's where the persecution's at, not the party. Okay? It's a dumb song. But I will say this. Wherever we go, that's where the peace of God should be. Whether it's heading into a storm, in the midst of a storm, or leaving a storm. And this morning, as we persistently rejoice and are satisfied in Christ, and we pour our souls with a sense of thanksgiving, we praise and put our trust in the person of God and His sovereignty, we protect our minds with Scripture. And we practice walking like our Savior. I'm telling you something this morning. We can have peace. And we can have a peace this morning that passes all understanding. That doesn't make sense. And we can be a people of peace. Aren't you tired of the turmoil in your life? And I'm not, I'm not giving you a quick little pill that the turmoil ends, but I am telling you this. There is a sense for the believer this morning that in the midst of all that, you and I can have peace. You can have peace. Paul has laid out the plan for us this morning. Let's pray.